0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, Salam, and welcome to the podcast, New Books in Islamic Studies, a channel with the New Books Network. I'm your co-host Shahana Saqani. Today, I interview Nefisa Gafornia about her recent book, Faith in Freedom: Muslim Immigrant Women's Experiences of Domestic Violence, published in 2019 with Melbourne University Press. In this book, Gafornia explores questions about Questions of Domestic Violence in the Context of Muslim Immigrant Women in Australia, aiming to correct existing accounts of Muslim women's lives and experiences, particularly as immigrants. The study uses an intersectional framework to deepen our understandings of the ways that immigrant, Muslim women understand, experience, and respond to domestic violence. Among the themes that the book covers are the relationships between culture, religion, gender, and or immigration status in the context of domestic violence, why and when, if at all, might women leave abusive relationships, and many women in her study do leave those relationships, the various kinds of domestic violence that immigrant Muslim women experience, including physical, psychological, financial, sexual, spiritual, in-laws, and immigration-related violence, services available to victims and survivors of abuse, and essential information for service providers and policymakers. The book will appeal to anyone interested in immigrant experiences, domestic violence from an intersectional perspective, and maybe Muslim women generally. And because of its practical value, it should also be read by service providers, policymakers, ESL educators, and others who interact interact with Muslim or immigrant women on a regular basis. In our discussion today, Ghafurnia describes her research methods, the process of collecting her data through interviews with the women essential to her study, the ways that immigrants' experiences with domestic abuse might differ from mainstream ones, some of the major findings of the study, and how the book can be used as a resource by other researchers and educators. This here is our discussion with Nafisa Gafornia about her book Faith in Freedom. Hi, Nafisa. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your book Faith in Freedom, Muslim Immigrant Women's Experiences of Domestic Violence. I'm very, very delighted to be able to talk to you about it.
1: Uh, Hi, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and talk to you
2: Absolutely. So we always begin this discussion with the author's intellectual biography or their journey and what brought you to this, you know, to your academic discipline. Um, So could you you walk us through your biography or your intellectual journey? Yeah, sure. And I just uh,
1: a little bit about my background. I was born uh, in Iran and uh, during my childhood, I was always uh, struggling with sexism and gender inequality. And then um, for a while I was just, I was a, a book lover, so I was le- reading lots of books, but I have no idea about feminism and those stuff. And then um, when I went to uni and I started my social uh, Bachelor of Social Science, I have a lecturer that she was the only female in the whole department. And uh, I got many of my ideas of feminism and you know, gender studies from her. So then I got interested in reading more about feminism and gender studies and all of those stuff. And um, when I went, um, when I finished my uh, bachelor there, then I did a master's degree in sociology. And I was working for a while in a women organization. And then when I came to Australia, I just, um, for a while, um, I was, you know, I had a child, so I didn't study it. It was a, a big gap then. And then I studied, I had a... a uh, certificate, uh, graduate certificate in policy study. And then I had a PhD in general study and uh, social policy. So yeah, I finished my study, my PhD in 2017.
2: Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Now, can you tell us also about the origins of this book? Why the book? Why now? Um, and the history behind yeah. it?
1: Yeah, it's actually the summary of uh, my PhD thesis. So when I finish my um, thesis, uh, I just, uh, you know, as a, as a process, they get it to get review for uh, with some scholars. And then I get the feedback of the reviews. Uh, they, they were very positive. And then my supervisor, she just suggested that I turn it into the book. So I just uh, send a proposal to the publisher and then it got published as a book. It's just uh, the result of my work for five years. <laughs>
2: Nice. Yeah, no, I can't wait to publish my dissertation one day soon, too, as well. <laughs> and so, so I, I enjoyed the book very much. It was very heavy at times, and I had to put it down and, you know, stay really, really mad at the patriarchy, which is what I live to do anyway already. But walk us through your methods. And uh, I am personally most interested in how you selected your respondents, what your experience was in recruiting them, how open they were with you, because they're sharing a lot of really, really intimate details about their lives with you. Um, I
1: would love to hear about this. Yeah. Yeah. When I started recruiting, I was thinking because I just want um, Muslim women. And I was thinking because uh, in Sydney, there are a couple of refuge that is just for Muslim women who experience domestic violence. So I was very hopeful that it's easy. I'm going to approach those service providers and they provide women. And then I was thinking talking to women will be hard and they won't disclose. But what happened in reality, it was completely opposite. Uh, It was very hard to approach the service providers and um, they didn't help me at all. And uh, they just, I don't know what was the reason, probably because they don't want to reinforce the Islamophobia atmosphere that's happening in Western countries. Or I don't know, maybe they want to deny that it's such a thing in our community. So it was, I was very disappointed. It took me about 14 months to recruit 14 women. And at the end, um, you know, just one service provider, one of the refuge in uh, Sydney, they called me and they were not specific for Muslim they but the general refuge. And then they called me and I just interview uh, uh, three women. And then uh, later they introduced some of their friends and then I got, I couldn't get all of the women in Sydney. So I get a couple of women in Newcastle. So it, it's the city that I live. So I, uh, yeah, I just get it. Finally, 14 women, but it was very hard. But the amazing thing, it was when I uh, get into these women and talk to them, they were really open about their experience. And especially their refuge in Sydney, when I went there, the three women I, I interviewed, they just came from very uh, abusive relationships. So they had cuts and bruises in their face, and their bodies. So it, the experience for them was very fresh. So one of the women I was interviewing, she was sobbing through the interview. I just uh, turned off the recorder and I told her, look, I don't care about uh, this research at all. Just, I turn it off and you just talk to me if you want. And she insisted that I turn the recorder on and she was telling that talking about her experience and sharing that can be, you know, empowering for some women in the same situation. So she just insisted that I just... uh, talk about her experience in the book. So I was really, uh, you know, uh, it, it was, a, it, it, for me as a researcher, it was very hard to listening to those stories as well. But they were very open about their experience that I was amazed how they can talk to me. And I think one of the reasons that they said, they said, because of the language barrier, one of them said, look, I've been here a couple of days. And before that, she was in another refuge. And she said that you are the only one that I can talk with my language. And even those that they don't speak my language, they said, I oh, will talking to you that um, you are a Muslim and uh, you are an immigrant. Uh, it's really like a um, therapy for them. And they feel, you know, just really, um, you know, they were, they were really happy to talk to me about it. So I think maybe the reason was that that they were open. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so you, so I So you're focusing here on immigrant Muslim women um, living in Australia who have experienced domestic violence. And one of the things that you do, that you highlight in this book, and that I really appreciated, was that you you can't you you, anytime this is relevant, you note that this particular finding contradicts an assumption about Muslim yeah. women or or about immigrants. And and you're very very. Um, clear, and this is, I think, a major theme in your in your book as well. That there, that um, intersectional theory needs to be um, highlighted in this whole yeah. discussion. And so, I would like, I would love for you to to, to um, sort of summarize for our, for our audience here what some of your main findings are, um, yeah. and where something like intersectional feminist theory becomes useful at all.
1: Yeah, uh, I think the reason that I just uh want to focus on intersectionality was that usually the common feminist theories focus on gender as a um, reason for all the discrimination women um, experience but for immigrant women and not just for immigrant women for many other um, like uh, when the intersectionality started, it was just about the uh, experience of african-american women but for me uh, for muslim immigrant women i was thinking that the Uh, experience, first of all, is more complex than the experience of someone that is from mainstream Western countries or like they are Australian, or if there's an American, American. So first of all, it's just the immigration itself that I was thinking is the intersection, strong intersection between immigration uh, experience or settlement experience, and then the experience of domestic violence. And as I explained in the book, immigration just uh, is a huge barrier for many of these women. So when they came to the country, the first thing they, they think, they didn't know about the legal system here. Many women did not know that the domestic violence here is illegal. They were not aware of support services, so they don't know if there is any refuge or uh, there is any like hotline that they can ask for help. Or language. Language was a um, huge barrier for many women who don't speak English. And then legal... Um, uh, visa status is another thing than if they are in uh, in my sample, a couple of women they were on um, spouse visa. So when they come as a spouse visa, so the applicant is the main applicant is their partner or husband. And if they are abusive, they just misinform them and just tell them that if they leave them, they can go back to the country and the visa will cancel or they, t- they just tell them that the husband or the main applicant has the authority to cancel their visa and even send the woman uh, back home. And then also the custody of two children, and they said, oh, I can have the children, You can send you back home. So uh, these challenges, other thing is unemployment. You know, most of these women, they were uh, qualified, but uh, they couldn't work here. They didn't have any stable job. They were um, financially dependent on their husband. So it's a huge barriers as well as just part of uh, immigration. Another thing that I talk in my book about is just the social isolation and lack of support, family and friends support for these women was a huge barrier as well. So in some culture that, um, again, I explain in the book, in collectivist culture, uh, when they are back home, at least um, their family can just uh, like mediate and just support the women, even in terms of accommodation or just, uh, uh, especially in some culture, uh, like uh, male uh, family members, like fathers and brothers, can be a big support for women. And most of the women that I interviewed, they said that after immigration, the experience of abuse got much, much worse. And one of the reasons was they didn't have any support and the abuser just knew that they don't have any support to turn to. So it was was much worse. So it was the immigration that I talk about that it's the intersection of immigration and the experience of violence as well as um, intersection of uh, gender and um, culture. So I was interested a lot as um, in thinking, is it really religion that uh, used as a barrier for women to ask for help or is it culture? So um, I talk about it and in my findings, it's interesting that all the women uh, just they just acknowledge that it's their culture mainly. And they talk about the culture as have both positive and negative effects. Like uh, when they have, as I mentioned, if they have family, there sometimes the uh, fathers and brothers just support them. But at the same time, they talk about negative aspects of cultures, like the community, especially if they have some um, small community here, and even back home, if they divorce, there will be some uh, you know beliefs, cultural beliefs that is the. Der- um, it's the women's fault if their family, uh, they cannot hold to the family or the children needs to have father and those things. So it was both that negative and positive aspect of culture. And the same as religion as well. So again, the religion, they talk about it, that it's positive in a way. For most of the women in the sample, they use religion and uh, more uh, spirituality or religion as a kind of... Um, uh, mechanism to cope with the abuse so most of the women talk when they get abused they just go and pray or read quran or just um, you know uh, it just gives them strength and and at the same time they talk about some negative aspect of religion and the main one that was a theme in my research and is uh, in line with other research is the negative role of religious leaders that uh, in my sample, a few women who went to their religious leader, they've been advised to put up with all of abuse and be patient, and they will be rewarded in the afterlife and those things. So even for one woman going to religious leader, when he when she heard that advice, she just straight went to the police and said, "No, he's not going to help me. So I need to ask for more help." Yeah.
2: Mm. All of this makes me wonder, um, and I, I, I asked so I, I'm thinking about it's related to another question that I have about whether. Um, in response to this book that you've written and this research, if you have ever faced any backlash from folks um, criticizing you for focusing so much on Muslim women's uh, experiences with domestic violence and maybe not necessarily mainstream women, I'm, I'm wondering here also um, what some of how these women, how these immigrant women's experiences with abuse are different from or similar to mainstream abused women. Um, but i but a general question also i'm just curious do you do you face any backlash from folks
1: no, or? no not not really not not really any backlash but in finding these women and recruiting these women when i approach um, a few women's refuge muslim women's refuge i just get abused with one of the managers and she just verbally abused me over over the phone and mm-hmm. she was telling me that uh, uh, she was telling me that why you think that you're work is very important. What's the purpose of your work? What do you want to prove? And (laughs) I was thinking it was the only backlash I received. They were probably scared that I'm going to just, uh, you know, uh, talk about Muslim community but you know it's just one community the same as other communities that we experienced it we know that it's a global phenomenon domestic violence and gender-based violence so it was the only thing I received but later then no no everyone and especially most of the women and um, you know even friends family or even my colleagues they're really you know, very, very supportive of the uh, mm-hmm. and then your second question was about sorry I forgot
0: slash NBN50 to get 50% off.
2: Uh, Women have their experiences with abuse. um, Because there are some really important cultural markers here that make their abuse different and their responses to abuse different. Um, can you talk to our audience about that? What, how these women's experiences with abuse are different from, mainstream, from the mainstream? Yeah, yeah.
1: I just talk about is it, just similarity. Like similarity is the tactic of abuse or forms of abuse is the same as mainstream. You know, they all had physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, psychological abuse, financial, social, all of those. And even the spiritual abuse was another one. But the things that I found in this group um, of women, it was interesting that uh, none of them talk, talk, Uh, their experience of sexual abuse, sexual. So when they talk, um, they just open up and they were talking about their experience. They call it, a few women that mention it, they call it psychological or physical. So they don't name it sexual abuse. And the other difference is uh, another kind of abuse that is not common in Western. It's usually mostly in collectivist society that they live with extended family. So it was in-laws abuse. That almost most of our uh, women in the sample, they talk about in-laws abuse, that is the abuse that perpetrated by in-laws. And it can include uh, mother-in-law, mainly mother-in-law, sister-in-law, father-in-law, brother-in-law, whoever lives with them. So it was the one specific um, experience of, and forms of abuse and the other um, difference as i mentioned is immigration that just add to the challenges you know, so being new in a country with new culture new legal system and those things so like for example many women um, about, about two i think two two women they were taught that when their husband kicked them out of the home they went uh, to the park and just stay in the park and they didn't know that there is a refuge here so mm-hmm. it's 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 the big difference in terms of uh, Yes, uh, immigration. And as I mentioned, culture as well. So uh, although in Western culture as well, there are some cultures, still there are some cultural beliefs about it. But for um, these women, especially if they are in a small community, like they are a small community of people like from um, Syria or any country. So it's uh, because everyone knows each other. So if the woman leaves the partner, it's just the pressure on them. It's it's really hard. So it's another mm. difference with mainstream uh, population. That's the difference between a bit of culture and also immigration.
2: You know, you you're, one of your finding that the, none of these women. Um, or one of your findings is that no, none of these women mentioned or used the word sexual sexual violence. Yeah, in, in their discussions, they they refer to it as or they classified it as physical violence. Yeah. I wonder because you're interviewing here women from many many different backgrounds. You know, Afghan. Pakistani, South Asian, Arabic, yeah. Persian, and so on. Um, and you're talking to the the ones who don't know uh, Farsi, you're ta- or Dari. You're talking to them in English. Yes.
1: Yes. No, so no. They, if sorry, yeah, those. Uh, Yes, they talk to them, and one of my criteria because I couldn't get the interpreter because it costs and those things. So yeah, I speak to them in English. Just those a uh, uh, couple of women that were from Afghan or Iranian. That I speak Farsi. So, yes, I speak English to others
2: because in some languages, like I, I, my native language is Pashto, and I I'm wondering what the word even what the word for something like sexual abuse or sexual violence or marital rape might be. I mean, we have a yeah. word for rape, but. Yes. It, marital rape is just a funny word nobody you know exactly Exactly. exactly I, I can imagine why that would be sort of an un, either uncommon or unknown a word if it exists yeah, at all. And yes,
1: it's it's part because it's probably yeah you are right. It's because of the language and sometimes also because it's a cultural taboo, mm-hmm. or maybe the women and you know that as you said uh, marital rape is not a very uh, clear concept for many, and they think it's just the right of uh, men to have sex whenever they want. So probably maybe they don't consider it as sexual abuse. Yeah. You know i'm just, I'm just thinking right. or maybe maybe it's a taboo to talk about it yeah
2: right it's even even though some of them do mention it yeah you know, I, I i noticed that when they're um when you when you when they're telling you what they what what kinds of violence they have endured when they're talking about something sexual they're they seem a little more hesitant or maybe yeah. it's a question of modesty as well and they're like i won't get into that or yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah i have one
1: mm-hmm. woman that said i don't want to get it yeah. it's yeah. really
2: fascinating it is yes. significant to me that so many of these women left their abusive husbands, and yeah. at, at some point in their marriage, and for you know different reasons, um, is this in line with other research on abuse? Do you know? Uh, I I don't think so because. Uh, and the other
1: thing is just they leave, but after many long mm. years, you know, and you can see that most of the women leave after, you know, the median, it was was 11 years. So imagine uh, 11, 15 years you put up with all of these abuses, huge thing. And most of them, uh, you know, when they leave, it was a turning point for them that leave. Mm. And I don't think so. It's uh, it's it, even in mainstream population, we know that women, if they leave, they leave after years. So yeah. it takes them time to get out of this relationship. And even I had three women that they're still living with their partners. Yeah. So um, I, I I think um, yeah, it's it's a bit tricky for some, you know, to say that the research all support this. It depends, you know, in different contexts, different situations when the women leave, and how. But, um, you know, about immigrant women, we know that the the thing that is very clear and the literature support is that they usually don't ask for help. So, Mm -hmm. Even in the surveys and, um, you know, national surveys that we have here in Australia, you can see the number of, um, I mean, immigrant, we call them cult, I mean, cultural and linguistic diverse women that seek help is is really low. And then they sometimes think, oh, because they don't seek for help, it means they don't have this problem in the community. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, it's one of the things that, no, there is there, but they seek help later and maybe because of all of these barriers that I talk in my book like immigration and all of immigration and all the settlement issues that they seek help but late so because they seek help late that's, that means that they leave late as well.
2: Which I find so incredibly hopeful that these are immigrant women they eventually many of them eventually find the resources and this you know, to be able to to know that oh they have rights and they can speak up and they can leave they don't have to stay in this particular event. Yeah. It's so, it's, I mean, I was moved that so many of them left and I was struck by the fact that it was so many of them. I I forget the specific statistic, I think. Was it uh, most of them, right? Most of them left. Yeah, yeah, out of 14, 11
1: 11 left, just mm, three.
2: 11 of the 14 left and one of them was sort of, you know, I know he's bad and I shouldn't be living with him, but, you know, here I am still kind of thing. So they, they, that was, it made me feel very hopeful for, for the future. And yeah. speaking of speaking of you know seeking help or or they're not knowing that they can seek help, I want to hear about the helpful and unhelpful resources mm, that they yeah, found as yeah. they decided to do something about their lives.
1: Yeah, and it's um, yeah, it, it was amazing when they were talking about the helpful sources. Another thing that came up as a team was that. Um, the first point of, uh, it, I think it's the same with mainstream women in any culture, that the first people they just expose is family and friends. And they can be either uh, positive help or negative, as, as I talk about. They can be helpful in terms of few women talk that even some community here, they help them with childcare, they provide some financial support or accommodation for them. And others didn't. They didn't even help them. So and then the second thing, uh, second um, source of help that was uh, very important, in, interesting for me as well. Um, in Australia, we've got a TAFE or uh, it's a college for uh, immigrant or whoever comes and they don't speak English, so it's English um, college. So when they go to the um, these. Um, college most of them find the teachers because it was the only place they were allowed to go because they didn't probably the husband you know that they controlled them socially they uh, just try to isolate them so for many of them the only place they were allowed to go was english class so that through english class it was there they ex- they disclosed the experience to the teachers and also in these colleges they've got social worker or counselor so many of them uh, find this uh, source very helpful so through the teachers or through the counselor they find out about the services here. So they didn't know that there are services here for women like refuge like you know <clears throat> uh, hotline and all of those things. And the other um, source of help was for those women um, besides the English class was for few of them was hospital because during birth or if they have children pregnancy and those things they came to hospital. So again, social workers was very important their role in the hospital. And then uh, it was... uh I mean, the religious leader that we talk about it. And then the final point of support uh, and help for them was the police and the hotline, domestic violence hotline. So it was the final, you know, most of the women, they just start from the family and friends to go to the police. So it was a, a like a process for them, if we could get the positive help from those. And for those that they, they didn't get any help from these sources, it was the final point for them was police. So you can see that, yeah, most of the helpful sources were there. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's just about the sources, yeah.
2: You know, there's a point that you make in in the book that that I'm a bit unclear about. On the one hand, that all who sought, all of the ones who sought resources, because not all of them did, but the ones who did seek resources and support had positive experiences doing so, such as with law enforcement, shelters, and so on. On the other hand... That some of them also faced discrimination in the process. Can you? Uh,
1: yeah, it's it's um, it's a bit uh, tricky. The thing the thing is that they all said in general, you know, because the process of seeking help was a long process. So it starts from the teacher or social worker, counselor, you know, religious leader, friends, family, and then go to the shelters. So in general, they have positive experience all together with all of these formal sources. But like someone that just go, um, you know, to the teacher and then go to the hotline and the police and the refuge, they could find it that like with police they were happy or with other sources they were happy. But most of the women that a few that they talked that they had a negative experience, it was in the refuge. And it was mostly because of the feeling it was kind of um, racism that they could uh, see. And I've got the ex- I think it was in the book I, she talks one of the women talked that they didn't let her to bring the halal food or yeah. the other one and it was I think one of the reasons she she went back to her husband because she found it very hard to accommodate a religious expectation there so it was in general they were <clears throat> positive but there were few that in this process they found some kind of a racism and discriminative attitude yeah.
2: okay so I wonder with regards to the women who had positive experiences seeking resources and help, is that an Australian thing? And are those resources or those professionals equally helpful to all survivors of domestic yeah,
1: violence? Yes, or it only is. Only
2: to these immigrant Muslim no, ones? No, no. It's because none of the women that
1: I interviewed, they were not, I told you that there are, uh, I think one or two mm-hmm. refuge in Sydney that they are just for Muslim women. They were not, none of them were from there. So they all went to the mainstream refuge and shelters. So it was okay. the experience for all of them. So I think it's a common thing. When they go there, they are re- usually helpful Everyone,
2: because yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, knowing white, knowing how it works in the United States, and you know, being familiar with white supremacy, I, yeah. I'm a little skeptical. Like, wait, is this a whole? Save the brown woman
1: from the brown man. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> What's going on here? No, it's genuinely... okay. Yeah, it it was not like that, you know. Even um, uh, I have experience later. It's not in this book. I didn't write it in the book, but I I had it's part as part of my job. It's it's not just saving women from the men. It's just sometimes the opposite. They're just thinking like, I have the case that the manager of a refuge tell a Muslim woman why you are here. You know religion, uh, I mean, um, domestic violence is part of your religion, so why you are here, it's, you know, you should should go back to your husband, it's your religion and then that was, you know this thing, it was shocking, it's I think the opposite, they don't want to save them, they just said okay, that's it, go and put up with it you know, it was this attitude, but yeah but hopefully mainly most of them that's why i I was pleased that most of them were happy with all the services they get but just there just was few there were few that just experienced that that's Mm -hmm. kind of racism and especially islamophobia and yeah service providers attitude
2: which brings brings me to my next question i really appreciated the and i think i mentioned this i know i mentioned this earlier as well i appreciate the your nuanced discussions on the importance and the role of culture and religion in these women's lives i mean most of them you had one one um respondent who wasn't identifying as muslim right she was a muslim background she had left islam it, it seemed like but she still sort of yeah. used to hold on to, yeah but they all yeah. see other than her and she she's like nope it's islam that's that allows men to do these yeah, yeah, things yeah. and you know men are superior and men are yeah. the um, but I, I, I'm interested in, in how these women, how these women explain um, the role that religion and culture play in their lives. So we can begin. We can talk first about culture. What are their understandings of their culture and in their experience of mm-hmm. abuse? And we can talk yeah.
1: about it. It's it's interesting that they very clearly talk. It was although some of them. They don't call it culture, but like one of them, I, I think you, you will see. You would see it in the Mm, book it said uh my community or my society or it said in yes. the society mm-hmm. when i raised you know they always tell me girls should do this and boys should do this girls should be you know the wife should be obedient and all of those and they were talking about those even they named them you know the cultural beliefs like you know um my family told me. I think it was one of the quote that they said, "Oh, if you um, divorce, it's going to be very harmful for the whole family. You know, no one is going to marry your daughter, and no one is going to marry your sister back home because you know incidence it's, it's, you know, incidents of uh, domestic. I mean, uh, divorce in the family. So they clearly knew that it's it, it is culture. It's the culture barrier. That's why they talk it as a barrier that they couldn't uh, leave to leave the abuse. Yeah, so they clearly talk about culture." But when it comes to religion, they just talk most, except that that uh, woman. Some of other women, they were I talk about their religiosity. Some of them, they were not practicing Muslim, but they still said they they just um, you know um, just it's kind of empowering for them, like a spirituality, even it's not religious something you know. And for others, um, as I mentioned, pray praying and talking to God and all of those things, it's all uh, you know it was just like empowering for them.
2: How do you hope that this book would be used will be used as a resource? What do you hope your readers get
1: I just I just want to just uh, yeah most of the researchers be aware of uh, the complexity of the experience of immigrant women and it's not just Muslim immigrant women in general and for women it's uh, again double bind it's it's the the fear of uh, you know. Not the fear, the reality of Islamophobia and all of those things that blame Muslims. And you know, when you talk about, it's not just the basic When you talk about any sexism or any gender inequality in the community, it's used as a, a tool to reinforce Islamophobia. As so, a look, that's it. That's what we're talking about now. And so, I'm just thinking that people avoid uh, these generalization, these myths. And this come to the reality of lived experience of these women and just be mindful of the complexity of their experiences. So it's not as simple as, uh, you know, that is gender inequalities, other factors that shape their experience, especially I'm talking about service providers, you know, social workers, people in health or domestic violence service provider to be aware of this specificity of their experience as well.
2: Yeah, no, thank you so much for it. Is there anything that you had to leave out from the book that you want to share with with, with our audience here, if you're comfortable sharing it, um, that couldn't go in the book? Because I I can imagine there's sort of a lot of other stories as well or other events that you couldn't share, um, that you weren't able to discuss in the book. Uh,
1: Not really, because they were all open about their experience. Uh, So I just include whatever they said here. Uh, But the only thing that I was a bit, I don't talk about it, is just that how some service providers, especially Muslim service providers, they were a bit reluctant to talk to me and just refer Mm -hmm. some women for this research. And I think, I don't know, (laughs) it was a bit, you know, unexpected for me. But uh, except that, yeah, everything was in the book and it's just very clear. And I really, you know, and it was really hard for me. I remember when I was... And then I went to the refuge and I was there for four hours and four hours I was listening to the story of these three women. And when I came, I was just, I was a mess, you know, (laughs) I was crying all the way and it was really hard. It was really hard to just, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, although I've been in the field for many years and I was thinking I'm okay, I was not. So it was really hard and I was, yeah. Yeah.
2: I can imagine, I mean, just reading this, I could not read the whole thing. Like I I had to put the book down so many times to breathe or to get some water or to walk because... Yeah. So really heavy. There's a lot of heavy stuff in here. How did you cope with all of
1: it? <laughs> yes, and it was good that uh, I have a very good supervisor. So I call, you know, I remember coming back. I just called her and was crying on the phone. And then we talk and then, uh, you know, <laughs> and I've got some friend that they are counselor. I just have a talk with them afterwards. So I feel better. But yeah, and the thing is that because they were so hopeful that their story can help other mm-hmm. women. That's, that's my hope. That's my hope that... They try to, you know, they were so honest and they share very intimate stuff with me. So I hope that their story can, you know, be, you know, helpful for other women and other people who try to help these women.
2: That was the other hopeful thing that I found in this book. These women, the way they're telling you, I hope this helps someone else. I want, of course, to get out of, you know, abuse earlier. And and the fact that none of them blamed themselves or women for, you know, for going through these kinds of abuses. because. It, typically, you know, typically we hear. Um, I mean, certainly in my experience and my observations and my conversations with people who are abused, they always not. I shouldn't say they always, but many of them blame themselves or their communities will blame them for it. You're not. Mm-hmm. You're not doing this. You should. You should yeah. give it food. You should smile yeah. more. You should do this and that to yeah. get them to not abuse you. It um, yeah. was really hopeful, I and mean, I was so impressed. And they're a. I mean, they're they different age age groups, and so it's not like they're necessarily younger women who are speaking this way or older women yeah, yeah. it's really it's wonderful to see that so I'm glad that yeah, you... that's,
1: that's why I insist you know the other reason uh, at first, when I couldn't get the women, I was um, my supervisor suggested I just focus on Iranian women. And I said, no, I just want to focus yeah. on as much as diversity as I can. And I'm so happy. The number is not many, but 14 women with nine different backgrounds. And I think it was great. So that's the thing, you know, with diverse group, it, uh, you know, different country of a different age and a different level of education. But the themes are, you know, the themes that happen is very similar.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us that we haven't covered um, in this session?
1: Uh, I think uh, I just covered almost everything. Oh, Another a thing is, was the feeling of, uh, I, I, I don't know, that the, you see that the turning point for these women was mm-hmm. very important. And first of all, the feeling they were talking about that psychologically they were not, many of them were traumatized. And they were talking that um, that psychological abuse was the worst that stayed with them for a long time. And then for many of them, this uh, turning point to leave the abuse was just their children. You know, some of them, as soon as the husband start abusing the children, mm-hmm. they just leave the um, uh, relationship. And another thing that I talk and it's very important is that resilience of these women. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that with having no support, with having no resources yeah. available, they were so resilient. Like the women, I just, uh, one of the women that just ha- that was hiding the pill, contracept- contraceptive pill in her pillowcases. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, this a story, or the other one who was doing the chore and learning English through, you know, uh, listening to radio. And it I think it was amazing that these women went through a lot and they were so strong to just make a decision and then empower themselves.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And as we close, we like to ask our authors um, what else they're working on that we can look forward to in the near future. Are you working <laughs> their projects right now? Yeah, I just work on a
1: few papers, not book anymore, but papers I'm just working on. Uh, I actually published a paper about gender segregation in mosques. Hmm. And um, I just published in Journal of Religions. And another one I'm working on is uh, Female um, Leadership. Uh, i mean in terms of islamic in terms of islamic view and uh, yeah (laughs) at the moment and i just got a few other papers on health i'm just working in the uh, relation of domestic violence and how they've been um, recognized in health systems especially in emergency departments so i'm working on those papers
2: well i look forward to them they're all within my my areas of interest so Uh, Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting them. Well, thank you so much, Nafisa, for joining me today. And um, I enjoyed this. And I I have no doubt that our audience did as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All righty. So that was our conversation with Nafisa Ghafurnia about her important recent book, Faith in Freedom, Muslim Immigrant Women's Experiences of Domestic Violence, published in 2019 with Melbourne University Press. Thank you so much for engaging. And I'll see you next month. Salam.